Well, over the last couple of months, my family has been going from specialist to specialist, trying to figure out what is going on with my youngest child, Esther. See, at 10 months old, Esther was only 10 pounds. And what the medical world calls that is failure to thrive. And so we needed to figure out pretty quickly what's going on with her and how do we fix this? So we went to an endocrinologist. We went to a geneticist because she might have a genetic disease. We went to a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, lactation specialist, a speech therapist. And finally, as we went through trying to figure out why she has all these symptoms that's resulting in her not thriving, we got to the speech therapist and they saw her on a video and said, yeah, she has a tongue tie and a lip tie. We need to get that taken care of. So by God's grace, the next day we saw the lactation specialist and the next day after that, we were already in uh, the office. My wife took my daughter there and they lasered her tongue and lasered her lip and took care of those things. And within an hour, she was starting to feed normally. And we thought, wow, this could be what we were looking for. You see, along the way, we were going to these specialists and each one of them obviously had some pressing ideas about what to treat. They looked at these symptoms and said, well, for this, we've got to treat that. For this other thing, we've got to give you this. And it was really tempting to be emotional about that and to just immediately go and get these medicines and start giving them to her. But we were convinced we hadn't found the core issue yet, the cause, the root of what was going on. And I can tell you now, a month later, she started to grow in weight. She started to grow in length. And she's even started to grow more hair, which, to be honest, I'm kind of jealous about that one. So things are working. We don't know if she's out of the woods yet, but we found one of the core problems, one of the main things that was going wrong with her that we needed to attack in order to solve for those symptoms. And I don't know about you, but I would kind of define the world right now with the term failure to thrive. We look on the news, we go on social media, everyone is failing to thrive. The world is out of control and it's very chaotic right now. But what we need to do is not respond emotionally, not listen to every so-called experts. If you go on Facebook, apparently there's a lot of them. Everyone's an expert. They know how to fix this problem. They know exactly what you need to do. But we know that God ultimately knows what the core problem of this world is, and he tells us in his word. If you could turn to Ephesians 6, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. And while you turn there... I want to walk you through what Paul's been talking to the Ephesians about thus far in Ephesians. First three chapters, he talks about our position, who we are in Christ. He talks about how to become a Christian, how to be saved, our inheritance, our hope, and the resurrection power that is within us. We have the same power that, is with, that, that raised Christ from the dead in us. That's what Paul tells us in the first three chapters. Chapters 4 through 6, he talks about our practice. How are we to live as Christians? We're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Be unified as a body. Speak truth. Watch what you say. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ well. Don't sexually sin. Be sober and obey God's commands as wives, husbands, parents, and children. He walks through essentially who we are in Christ and what we're supposed to do in Christ as a church, as a Christian body. And then he has a, but wait a minute, I need to warn you that this is going to be difficult. And that's where we come to in our passage. So follow along with me as I read verses 10 through 13 in chapter 6. Finally, 
he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul is saying here, before we move forward, don't forget to prepare for war. Because what I just told you about the Christian life, make no mistake, it's going to be a battle. And before we dive into what this means, I want to talk to you about who is in this battle. It is Christians who put their trust in Christ. And it's not just young believers. Satan's schemes apply to everyone who is in Christ. So if you're an older believer, been walking with Christ for a long time, I know you can attest to the fact that the devil, the enemy, and all of his minions, his army, they do not leave you alone. Fortunately, you've grown in your faith and you know the word of God better than you used to. And so his schemes need to become a little bit more clever. But fortunately, you've become sanctified, so you know how to fight them off. And you're probably well-practiced in what God says here, putting on the full armor of God, to rely, rely on his strength and his might, not your own. But I'll tell you this before we dive in. The thing we all need to realize is that the most vulnerable Christian is the one who doesn't know that they're in a war. The most vulnerable Christian is the one who doesn't know that they're in a spiritual war. So for point number one, put it down like this. Realize that you're in a war. You see, the, the moment that you're born again, this is kind of an interesting concept to think about. You are born into Christ behind enemy lines. You are reborn, and suddenly the person, the, the, the person of Satan and his army who was your commander is now your direct enemy. When you were saved, Christ didn't immediately take you from this earth. He didn't kill you and bring you to heaven. You have a job to do. You're in a war, a spiritual war, and you are now opposing Satan. Now, we also have an enemy inside of us. We're not going to talk much about that today, but I do want to mention it. When you put your trust in Christ and you're a new creation, and a former pastor of mine used to say, the software is new, but the hardware is still old. We have a flesh. That's what the Bible calls it. And it works against the Spirit of God. It pulls us to sin. So we have that going against us, and then we have this exterior enemy. And you're going to see today, we stand up here a lot, and we talk about be in the Word of God, be in prayer. There's a reason for it. It's not just to do it, to earn points. No, you're in a spiritual battle. And the only way to overcome that, as we'll see later, is to do the spiritual disciplines that God gives us as the prescription. So we have an enemy inside of us, but the great thing about that Satan and, his, and, his, and his, his army are going to be defeated. But also, when we are glorified in our new bodies, you, you know what the most amazing thought about that is? Our new bodies are going to actually cause us to be more righteous. They're going to pull us to righteousness. So every time we wake up in the morning and we feel our sinful nature pulling us to, towards sin, just remember, when we are in our final destination, when we are citizens of heaven, we will have a new body that will pull us in the right direction. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of his might, the strength of God's might. You see, if you and I were in a real physical battle, a real battle where we were enlisted in a real army, and let's just say we were camping one night in a specific area right alongside of enemy territory, and uh, your commander said to go up in a tower and be the watchman. 
And he said, over that hill over there is where the enemy's probably going to come from. So if you see them coming over that hill, I want you to get us so that we can fight this battle appropriately. The most foolish thing you could do in that moment, if you saw the enemy coming over the hill, would be to run toward them as fast as you can to fight that battle on your own. No, you need to go get the commander. You need to rely on the strength of his army, the strength of who he is, so that you can win that battle. You need to report to the commander. We report to the commander, but secondly, we put on what Paul's saying here is the whole armor of God. He's basically given us the prescription to win this war, to, to survive this war while we're still in this enemy hostile territory. You see, we're not citizens of this earth. We're sojourners. We're travelers traveling through it. Our citizenship is in heaven, but he says as long as you're here, you need to Report to the commander in his strength and you need to put on the whole armor of God. Now, the armor of God is explained in the following verses and I really do encourage you to study that this next week. But I want to go through this just very quickly so we can understand what the armor of God is that Paul's talking about. You see, Paul wrote Ephesians probably while he was chained to a Roman soldier. So as he's writing this letter, he's looking over going, man, all the stuff he's got on that armor, that actually applies really well to the Christian life. And so he gives us these things, starting with the belt of truth. See, Roman soldiers had a tunic or a long robe that they would have to pull up, and the belt cinched it to basically get everything that was extra out of the way. We need to be filling our minds and our lives and our hearts with truth and getting all of the other nonsense out of the way so that we can actually fight a good battle. The breastplate of righteousness, a leather or heavy metal covering the soldier's torso, that protected the soldier's torso and vital organs. Really, this is a faithful obedience and communion with Jesus Christ because it's in Christ's righteousness alone that we're going to win any battle. The shoes is really referring to Roman soldiers. They used to put nails in the bottom of their boots so that as they stood in battle, they could stand firm. They wouldn't be moved very easily, kind of like cleats in our day. This is us trusting in the gospel of peace and standing firm in it. The shield of faith. This is a large shield that protects the entire body from Satan's fiery darts. This faith is believing in God's promises. We need to be familiar with God's promises so that we can believe them. We need to know them. We need to preach that to us instead of listening to ourselves on a daily basis. We also need to make monuments in our lives. You and I, we've lived a certain number of years. No matter how old we are in this room or online, God's been faithful He's been faithful and we have monuments in our lives, things, milestones that we can look back on and go, I remember that. I'm not going to believe the lies of Satan today because I can look back and see that God was faithful in this way. And we have the helmet of salvation. This is an assurance of our salvation. This is an assurance. Nothing can pluck us from the hand of God. Nothing can take away our salvation. We put our trust in Christ it's as sure as anything else. Our citizenship is in heaven. And like Pastor Ben has been preaching about or did preach about in Romans, we are invincible. All things work together for the good, those who love him. So we can wear that helmet of salvation in total confidence, knowing that that can't be taken from us. We are invincible. The sword of the Spirit, the sword is this. It's our word of God. And Paul would have known that the only weapon that the Roman soldier had on him was a sword. That's the only weapon for defense and for offense. And this is the only weapon that we need to fight a spiritual battle. 
We're going to be tempted to try to fight it in other ways. All those experts online, they're going to tell you to fight it in other ways. But we fight it with the truth in God's word. Okay, so let's recap for a minute here. We're, we're in a war. Okay, we all got that. We know that now. We're in a war. I know my commander and I will go to him when there's trouble. Okay, we're not going to go fight this battle on our own. We're going to go get the commander and fight in his strength. We got that. I'm suited up and I'm ready for battle. I have my armor on. Okay, we're ready. But what is the mission? If we're in a war, then what is the mission? When we got saved, like I said, we weren't immediately taken out of this world, so we have some work to do. Well, fortunately, God doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us very clearly. Jesus told us before he ascended to heaven in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we have a real enemy who wants to destroy our mission, then we should probably learn a little bit about who that enemy is. Write down this for point number two. Understand your enemy. We're not understanding our enemy to glorify him or to make much of him in any way. He's a complete enemy of God and he's an enemy of ours. But we do need to understand that God left us in the world with a real enemy and he's given us a prescription to fight him. And he's going to leave landmines in different places in our lives and we need to know his tactics and how he works so we can avoid them. That's why we need to know who the enemy is. He has no power over us as long as we follow the plan that our commander has given us. Now the world portrays Satan very weakly, right? Portrays Satan as this you know, scrawny little guy with a red suit on and a tail and some horns and a pitchfork. Or maybe he, he's even on your shoulder telling you to do bad things while an angel tells you to do good things. That's who we've seen Satan portrayed as. And honestly, he probably loves nothing more because the truth is that lets him fly under the radar because he was the highest being that God ever made. Did you know that? He was the highest being that God ever made. And with the sin of pride, he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. This is a formidable opponent. This is somebody we should not mess with. And we see examples in scripture of people who try to take on Satan on their own doesn't work out so well for them. This is not something that we want to play around with. But at the end of the day, and we'll talk about this, we also don't need to fear him because of who we are in and who is in us. We can see from 1 Peter 5.8 that he's aggressive and ruthless. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking some, someone to devour. And if you've ever been to the zoo or you've been on a safari and you've been around a lion when it wants to eat or it roars, it is magnificent. It is deadly. It is powerful. You feel small next to it. Satan owns all those who haven't put their trust in Christ either. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's another name for Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This war is not spiritual. I mean, sorry, this war is spiritual. It's not physical. Although Satan may use men to engage his plans, 
We have to understand the systems of this world or what he engages in. That's why what we see when we turn on the news is what we see. It's tempting to try to fight the systems of the world. And that's solving for the symptoms. We're trying to cure the symptoms. But the truth is there's a core underlying disease and evil underneath those systems. That is Satan. In verse 12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood here is referring to men or mankind. We're not wrestling against mankind. It's so easy to forget that because we live here with other men and women who sin against us and who say things that are evil. But we have to understand we're not wrestling against them. They're just doing the bidding of Satan and his army. Heavenly places here refers to the air or invisible places or the spiritual realm. So to paint the picture... We've got Satan and his army who are invisible, who are so evil that their tactics could probably not even really be understood by us. So now we want to fight that kind of an enemy? No way. God has to fight that battle because we could never fight an invisible enemy that we don't understand. He uses the world systems as his main way of attack. And this is why, just you know, to take a second here as a parent, I have five kids. I don't shy away from telling my kids about this because my kids live in the world. They're also sojourners. Hopefully they put their trust in Christ and they follow him one day, but they need to understand the duality of this life, that spiritual allegiance is binary, that they were born into sin and by default they actually are obeying Satan. It's a deep concept. It's pretty difficult to understand, but you have to understand spiritually, again, binary allegiance. We're either going to bend the knee to Christ and put our trust in him, or we're going to be influenced by the little g God of Satan in this world. And so I don't want to intentionally put my kids in sinful situations. It's not what I'm talking about. But not letting them be naive about what the world is and helping them to understand why the world is what it is so that the gospel makes more sense to them. Deuteronomy 6-7 talks about putting the word of God in front of our children from sun up to sundown. We need to be less about what we're not and more about what we are for because the power of the word of God is much stronger than anything out in the world. And it's not mutually exclusive. I understand that. We all have to find our own path in that as parents. We need to follow what the word of God says and then deal with our children uniquely as we see fit in our homes. But one thing I would say is let's make sure to keep the first things first. We don't spend so much time protecting and shielding our children from the ways of the world and what it does when not spend enough time getting them into the word of God and teaching them what it says and who God is. Also, all false doctrines are doctrines of demons. All false doctrines are doctrines of demons. It's not just people misunderstanding something. These are driven by Satan and his army. All men seek to have a right relationship with God. Because they're created in his image. They're created to worship. That's why a musician can get up in front of thousands of people in a stadium and people worship them because we are created to worship. It's misplaced worship. Do you want to know why so many musicians kill themselves when they're before they're 30? Because we weren't created to be worshipped. It's a system that cannot succeed. God is the only one to be worshipped. He's the only one that we are to worship. So Satan enlists hypocritical men to lead false religions. He enlists hypocritical men to lead false religions. 
And every single one of them says a right relationship with God can be earned. If you look at every false religion, every single one of them pitches the idea that a right relationship with God can be earned. And I just want to talk to you for one second, just like real talk about where we live. And I bring this up not <clears throat> to pick on anyone, but it breaks my heart that our Mormon friends who live on our streets and in our cities, they're so deceived. And we need to understand this because we need to be a part of helping them be saved from the slavery of sin that they're in. It's not harsh to say that Satan leads the Mormon church. It's true. If we look at Scripture, there's no other option. And we live in a place where there are a lot of people in the Mormon church. If we're going to see a revival in this valley, we're going to see a revival of people coming out of that lie. It is a lie by Satan. It is a false religion. It's a false doctrine. And the more that we dig into that, the more we're going to see that there is a real enemy. Trust me. He wants us to leave it alone and just think, you know what, they can believe what they believe, we'll believe what, what, what we believe, and we'll figure it out in heaven. No, these are souls. Everything in this life has an expiration date except for souls. A thousand years from now, those people on your block that are Mormons, they're going to be somewhere. Their soul will exist somewhere. Will it be heaven or will it be hell? That needs to break our heart. We need to understand, though, that they're in the grips of our ultimate enemy, and we need to get the commander, fight in his strength, and put on the armor of God in order to fight that battle. Now I want to talk real quick for a minute about this valley in general. So let's get real for a minute on that. So many folks in this valley, including myself, want to fight for this valley not to become overrun with non-biblical ideologies. We don't want to see this place become something that we see around the rest of the world. We love this place. It's peaceful. People treat each other nice. We have freedom. We have good schools and communities and neighborhoods. Nobody's going to argue that. Everybody wants that. But here's the bottom line. The greatest way to protect this valley from Satan's schemes is to preach the gospel to preach the gospel because a rising tide raises all ships. If we want this place to continue to abide by God's law, then we need more people with a heart for God. Because although people align with that now by default just because of where we live and they preach conservative values, their heart is sinful and the tactics of the enemy will ultimately win them over. We need to preach the gospel and put our money where our mouth is. If we want this place to be a light for Christ, then we need more light in the people who live here. So the next time someone sparks up a conversation about the politics, about the Boise mayor or the police chief or whoever it is, bring it back to the gospel. Bring it back to the gospel because that's the only thing that's ultimately going to matter. It's the first thing that you should go to. All those other things, those are conversations that you can have depending on how and where it goes. I get that. But our first thing should be to preach the gospel. Our passage goes on. It says, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, who are all these people? What are all these things? Who are the rulers? Who are the authorities? Cosmic powers. This sounds like a crazy, weird army. Some kind of Avengers movie, right? 
Revelation 12.9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan and his many evil troops, they've been around for thousands of years. You ever think about that? They've been around here learning how to scheme and to deceive human beings for thousands of years. Nobody in this room has been here probably over, over 100 if that, thousands and thousands of years, they've been learning their tactics. Our enemy is not the system. It's an army controlling the world's systems like we talked about. But this system, this army, they know that there's a bottomless pit awaiting them. They know their future. They understand the Bible. Did you know that? They know what this says. They understand their future and they're going to take as many people with them as possible. They can influence people to false doctrine because they know what the Bible says. Here's a question for all of us. Do we know the Bible better than the demons know it? Do you know your whole Bible? Do you know all of it? Because the parts of it that you don't know, that's where the enemy's going to get in and twist it, try to get you to believe false doctrine. Now, do they submit to it? Absolutely not. They hate it. They hate everything about God, but they know it and they use it as a weapon against us. Now, if we know it, we have the Holy Spirit who understands it way more deeply than they do. So we shouldn't be afraid of that, but it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we know the word of God more than our evil enemy? You know, back to our Mormon friends again, not to pick on them, but I want to expose this so we understand the realities of this battle that we're in. You know, they're asked not to ask questions. If they go ask a question to the leadership in their church, they're told not to do that anymore. And why is that? Because if they're not understanding what this means, then they can believe anything that they tell them. The more they dig into this, the more they will get to the actual truth of who God is and what he says, and the cracks will start to appear in their so-called faith. So we have access to this, and we tell you every week to get in this. Please get in this. Our enemy doesn't want you in it. One thing to note is that this is an intimate battle. Our passage says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So in Roman times, and Paul would have known this, that when the wrestlers would get into the arena, it was a really intimate battle. Okay, they, the whole goal was to try to grab each other around the neck and throw the person down to the ground. And if you were able to hold someone's head to the ground for a certain amount of time, they were dead. The penalty was death. If you held them to only get their shoulders down for a certain period of time, they lived to fight another day. The stakes were that high, and that's what Paul's saying here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against this invisible enemy, and the stakes are as high as death. It's intimate, it's dirty, and it's to the death. Okay, so now that we know we're in a war, but what should we expect about this war? We understand the enemy and what he's like. We know his schemes from... Some of what we've been reading, we understand what he might be looking to do. We know the mission to go and make disciples. We know that we need to report to the commander and not run after the battle in our own strength. But in God's strength and in his might, we know that we need to put on the armor of God. But when everything starts and the bombs start going off, and this war, is, we find ourselves in this war, what is it going to be like? What, is, what, is, what does God say this war is going to be like? So for point number three, let's put it this way. Expect difficulty and victory. We want to be honest about what this is going to be like. It's going to be difficult. Paul says that. Hey, wait a minute. Before you go forward, just expect difficulty. 
I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm not expecting something difficult to happen, it's much harder when it happens. Most of the time when I lose my anger, I have trouble with my anger, it's because my expectations weren't met. Well, we need to expect that the world is going to act like it acts. Right now, we are having the curtain pulled back on the realities of this world. I think it's tempting to think that what we're seeing in the world right now is the exception. It's not. It's the rule. This is what the world has always been. We're just seeing it for what it is. It's not normal to have peace in this life. We've been very comfortable in this country in Christianity. And the heat's getting turned up more and more. And we're seeing the reality of the sinful world that we are sojourning through. It says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What is this evil day Paul speaks of? Well, I think it's really tempting to think of the evil day Paul's talking about as sometime down the road. Sometime down the road, I don't have to think about that now or prepare for that now because that's when things get really bad. That's probably the tribulation he's talking about or that's some other event. No, every day while Satan reigns as the little g God in this earth is the evil day. We're in it. If you didn't know you were in it to, before today, now you do. You're in it. That explains so much. We need to expect a relentless attack that doesn't end until we die. That's, that's the truth of what this is saying. Expect an endless attack that doesn't end until we die. Relentless attack. That's why it's important to never take our armor off. I didn't say it previously, but when Paul says to put on the armor of God, the word put there is in a tense that means to put on forever. You see, we're not ever supposed to take off the armor of God. Those things that I listed, we're never not supposed to be doing those. We're supposed to sleep in our armor. We're supposed to never take it off. And I don't know about you, but for me, on those days when things go differently and I wake up late and I don't get into the Word or I don't pray right away, those are the worst days. Those are the hardest days. Those are when I say this is the evil day. Because we're not supposed to take the armor off. What we're seeing now is the rule, not the exception. Like I said, it's painful, yes. I think we'd all agree it's painful to watch what's going on in the world. There's nothing wrong with thinking that. Just because these things are true doesn't make it not painful. Just because a Christian who we know is going to be in heaven and we're going to meet them one day again, it doesn't mean we don't weep when they pass away. Sin is bad. Death is bad. It's our enemy. We see the things going on right now and we, we, we weep with those who weep. It's painful. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it exhausting? Amen. It's exhausting. But surprising? No. And I hope after today, nothing surprises you. Because we need to be less surprised as Christians. Understanding the world that we live in and then understanding the root cause of the problem and how to solve it. Now, to those who haven't put their trust in Christ, I want to speak to you for, more, for a moment because up until now, you might have been a bit uncomfortable with this message, especially if you're just visiting for the first time and maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. It's probably a little weird, right? You're hearing all of this and you're going, man, I did not expect this today at church. Beings flying around in invisible space. This is kind of crazy. But I want to say that more and more the world is going to give you 
so-called solutions for you to be happy because they think the problem, the symptom is your unhappiness. And so they know how to solve it. They've got all the answers. They're going to give you, uh, they're going to convince you that the problem is X and the solution is Y. But now you know the truth. You've been here today. You've heard the truth of what's really going on. You know that anyone who doesn't put their trust in Christ, anyone who hasn't been adopted in the family of God, bends the allegiance to Satan. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but I actually hope it's more hopeful to you than it is harsh. Because it might help to start making sense of what you're experiencing. My guess is you've tried things. If you don't know Christ or you've never trusted him, you try things to fix your life and it only works for a day or two, maybe a week at most, and then you're right back to everything else again. And sin has a hold on your life. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense now to know that you have an enemy within you and an enemy outside of you. As an ambassador of Christ myself, I urge you to be reconciled to God. Abandon the hateful ruler, Satan. He's just using you. He's using you. Let Jesus save you from the power of sin and the clutches of the enemy. And perhaps the most comforting part of this proposition that I'm bringing before you right now, as somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you right now can be saved from sin now and for eternity in an instant. You don't have to do anything like we talked about. This isn't some false religion. This isn't some religion that says, be good enough, earn your salvation. No, Christ gave the free gift of salvation when he went to the cross, when he lived a life perfectly that you and I couldn't live. He died on the cross, a death that you and I deserved, and he rose again and he defeated death. And then he says, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your sin in your life and say, I don't want that anymore. I want to put my trust in Christ and believe with all my heart that what he did is what he did and he solved my sin problem forever. Put your trust in him and you'll be saved right now. You'll instantly be adopted in the family of God as a co-heir with Christ. That should blow all of our minds, right? The creator of the universe, our God, adopts us as sons and daughters. And lastly, you'll be on God's team with all of us who've done the same thing. You'll be behind enemy lines instantly but you've got all of us with you to walk through this battle together. And tomorrow you can trust in his strength. You can trust in his might. You're like the guy who came over the hill in that enemy army. And the commander came out and enlisted you to come over to the other side. And now you can trust in his strength. And you can put on the armor of God for the first time. He's custom fit one just for you. And many times, the last thing I'll say about this, many times people don't submit to the authority of Christ because they don't want to give up authority in your life. Let me tell you this right now. You don't have authority in your life. It's a false idea of authority. Little G, God, Satan is influencing your life more than you know. And spiritual allegiance is binary and you're not one of the options. So I implore you, please put your trust in Christ today. Now I want to talk a little bit to all of us who have put our trust in Christ because a topic like this can be a bit overwhelming. But let's rejoice together over the truth that we are victorious in Christ. We want to end on a high note because we know who wins this war. What an amazing thing to be in a war that we know it, how it already ends. Like I said earlier, we are invincible. Christ has already taken back the deed to this world and we wait for him to return, to rule it. And that's why we pray every day for him to return. That's why that's so important. 
So I'm going to rattle off some scriptures here that I hope are encouraging to you. Just write down the address and maybe look at them later this week to be encouraged. First, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just like Jesus in the desert. Jesus quoted scripture back to Satan. The sword. Satan fled. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, this is, this is amazing. Christ reigns now and will forevermore. The devil is not autonomous. The devil is God's devil, and he does with him what he wants to do. He still has power and control over everything. God is infinitely powerful. It says here, Having the eyes of your heart and hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet, and gave him as head, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. First John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What an amazing scripture to read in the context of this message while sitting in the church with all of you. The gates of hell will not prevail against this. This is Christ's church. As long as Christ is the head of this church, nothing Satan does can prevail against it. You know, last week, Pastor Ben said in the video, we're just getting started. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pumped up. Pretty pumped up for what God's going to do in and through this church in the future. And perhaps Paul was pumped up when he was writing to the Ephesians. He says, let me tell you about our inheritance, our hope, and the resurrection power that's within us, right? Let me remind you to walk manner in the worthy of our calling, manner worthy of our calling, but remember to report to the commander. But remember to report to the commander and put on the armor so that you can live confidently without fear of the enemy's attacks. I'm pumped up. And many of you are pumped up about the future of this church, but you know who's not pumped up? Our enemy. But we can live confidently without fear of his attacks as long as we do what God has told us to do and to come to him for his strength. I'm more excited than ever for what God is doing in this church, like I said. But to do that, we'll need to avoid getting distracted and keep our first mission first to make disciples, to reach, teach, and train. That's the first thing we always need to be thinking about as Christians. And C.S. Lewis said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we need to keep the first things first. When you put the second things first, you ruin both first and second things. You put the second things first, you ruin both first and the second things. We can have all of the amazing things going on in this church, but if we don't put our mission first, that Christ commissioned us to do, the great commission, as one pastor says, not the great suggestion. The great commission, if we go and put that first every day in the life of this church, God will protect this church and bless this church. and We will see souls get saved. And all of us, we need to report to the commander when the enemy attacks and put on the armor of God, and never, ever, ever take it off. 
Please pray with me. Lord, we come to you and ask you for the strength to come to you and ask you for the strength. Lord, it can be overwhelming thinking about the fact that we have so many opposing forces against us once we join into your family. But Lord, what an amazing thought as we unpack who you are, that we have nothing to fear. Lord, thank you for giving us this description of our enemy so that we can know how to put on the armor daily. We know how to run to you and ask you for your help to do the things that we can never do in our own power. Lord, I pray this week as we all go about our way that each morning we would wake up, we would find ourselves believing in your promises, standing behind the righteousness of Christ, remembering how we were saved and how we can never be plucked from your hand, being in your word and studying it, knowing it, believing it, getting to know you through it. Lord, help us to pray and to never stop praying. After Paul lists off all of the armor, Lord, he says to pray always. May we put on each piece of armor in prayer, never take it off and pray to keep it on. Father, we fight in this war, but we know that you win and we just want to praise you for that. I pray that you wouldn't let us forget that we are not citizens of this world, but we are sojourners, we are travelers, traveling to our ultimate destination to be with you in eternity forever. Lord, I pray those who haven't put their trust in Christ that have been with us today or heard us online, that they would do so. They wouldn't wait another day. They wouldn't wait another day to join in the fight for righteousness. They wouldn't wait another day to become free from the slavery of sin and from the leadership of the enemy. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for saints to be excited to go and to make disciples, to reach, teach, and train. I pray that you would show us how to do that more and more as we walk together in Christ. We pray all this in in Christ's name. Amen.